Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Today, we're opening up a new series, and um, what I want to tell you on the front end is that I don't have a specific verse for you to go to in scripture um, because we're doing something different today. Uh, We're gonna be looking at the full narrative of the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean we're gonna be here for for centuries, right? But it does mean uh, that I I don't have a specific place for you to turn, so let's just tune in together. And maybe if you write out some notes, that would be helpful. But what I wanna do first is I kinda wanna track through where we've been and what we've been doing since uh, August, right? Um, and I, I know I've been doing this, but there's, a, there's a, a linear line of thought from August to today. And I wanna track through that again. I know I've done it a few times. So uh, several months ago, we started a series called A Glimpse of Glory under the impression that as we behold the glory of God, we are transformed into that same glory from one degree to the next. We become what we behold in other words, right? So if that be the case, then we look at the glory of God and we be transformed by it into that same image. And, and at the core of who God is, right? So we, we looked at his character. We looked at uh, his character according to Exodus 34 uh, verses six and seven. It was just a, a phenomenal exposition of the character of God. Um, and, and so we looked there and we also spent some time at the end of that looking at God existing as a trinity, right? The father, son, and spirit, three in one, one God, three persons. And while we were there, we realized that because God exists as a trinity, he is, he is at his core love, right? Because of relationship. He didn't need us to come into existence in order for him to experience love. Love was already there because the trinity was already there. And if God be love at the core of who he is, then the gospel ultimately is an invitation to come and experience that loving relationship. The loving relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit, three in one, And we get to join in that, right? That's the invitation of the gospel. So from there, we jumped into a three-week sermon series called Love, right? Just simply love. It wasn't necessarily how to love the one who hates me at work. It wasn't how to love my boss. It was simply how do you and I as Christians come in and sit under the waterfall, the massive downpour of God's love? What does it look like for us to sit and receive God's love? And that's where we've been, right? And, and last week I said something, and I've, I've, I mentioned it a few times, and you probably know the verse well, but basically the truth that we, I mentioned last week that connects us to why we're here today in this new series is the idea that the greatest love can eliminate the greatest fear, right? The greatest love can eliminate the greatest fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So if we are sitting under the full downpour of God's love, then what have we to fear? right? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? So, so today we're starting this new sermon series, Fear Not, right? This idea that if we are underneath the downpour of God's love, then from there, all fear is gone, right? So that's why we're starting in this Advent series called Fear Not. However, let's just, let's just pause. A lot of us are familiar with that first word, fear, right? A lot of us are very much experiencing that even now, this fear that surrounds, we're all too acquainted with that first word, fear. And to, for me to just sit here and say, hey, fear not, don't be afraid. 
What does that do to your soul? What kind of, what kind of balm is that on the wound of fear, right? That, that, that's a lot easier said than done for me to sit here and say, hey, don't, don't be afraid. Fear not, right? It, it's a lot easier said than done. Guys, uh, there are fears, right? There are fears that can keep you alive. We call those right fears. And then there are fears that can just absolutely keep you from living, right? Totally keep you from living, some of those fears can, can make us both believe and do some pretty ridiculous things. Like, right? Like, I mean, we, we've seen that in our own lives. It's possible that you've even done some pretty ridiculous things based on, on misplaced fears that just don't even logically make sense. I know I have in the past. And guys, as far as fears go, guys, it's like the, the candy shop of terror, right? It's, you, can, you can have all shapes and sizes and colors of whatever kind of fear that you want. Right? There's all sorts of fears out there that you can experience yourself. Let me give you some examples of these. these I, I'm, what I'm about to tell you are clinically diagnosed fears, right? They're legitimate fears that people have. So the first one would be aquaphobia, fear of water. I wonder how they hydrate. What about palatophobia? Palatophobia is the fear of baldness or bald people. Right? So I have that because I'm, I'm afraid that I'm getting ready to go, go bald. I've, I've got some years to go, but it's going to happen, I fear, because I've seen some of my, my elders. What about chatophobia? Chatophobia is the fear of hairy people. <laughs> it's the fear of hairy people. Good thing my wife does not have that fear. What about porphyrophobia? Porphyrophobia is the fear of the color purple. Good thing my mom doesn't have that because her favorite color is purple and everything in her house is purple. What about uh, caliprophobia? Caliprophobia is the fear of obscure meanings. <laughs> okay, I'm not trying to make fun of these. Like, they're legitimate, they're real. What about thalassophobia? That's the fear of being seated. It's a good thing you guys don't have that right now because I'm guessing you're probably lounging on your couch doing your thing, right? What about, this is a tough one to pronounce, stabisbasiphobia. Stabisbasiphobia is the fear of standing or walking. How do you get around in life? And then here's the last one on my list. What about phobophobia? It's the fear of being afraid, the fear of fear. The fear of the feeling of fear. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so for those of us who... Uh, who struggle with like the many ways that fear can manifest itself in our lives. So that can look like uh, depression. It can look like anxiety, doubt, uncertainty, apprehension, paranoia, so much more, right? We know that simply being told, hey, don't be afraid. Don't, excuse me, fear not, right? That's like being told, hey, don't breathe. We can't help but do it, right? There's, there's just, it's something in us that's causing us to fear, and we're all prone to it, right? And when we do fear, we, we're just, we feel terribly trapped, right? We feel like we're in a prison, we're shackled to just frustration and to hopelessness. And like there's, I mean, can I talk a little bit about the church a little bit, right? There's even this subtle pressure within the church, within Christianity, for Christians to have their act together, right? And to live fearless, right? Because you know that verse, we, have a spirit, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, right? We don't have that kind of fear or that spirit, so, so when we are anxious or when we are depressed, 
We don't think that we could even show it, let alone share it with someone else without feeling judged. So we we hide our anxieties away. We put our worries in the closet under the pressure that to be a Christian means to have everything together. To be a Christian means to pretty much have no fear. You know, I I don't know the source of this quote, um, but I did get it from somewhere and I can't remember, but someone once said, the man who knows no fear is not only a gross exaggeration, he is a biological impossibility. In other words, to be human is to know fear. To be a part of the narrative of human history is to be a part of a narrative of fear, right? So if that be true, universally true, how are we as Christians supposed to think about this? How are we supposed to rightly think about fear? What does this even mean? Are there things that we should rightly fear? What are those things? Or or where did fear even begin and and what has God done about it or what is he doing about it? Guys, there's all sorts of questions that I think we all have in regards to fear itself. And I hope and pray that the next four weeks, you and I get to press into those answers through God's word and through what we find out what he has told us in his word. Now, of course, because it's like Advent season, we typically kind of narrow our thoughts and our uh, attention to the nativity scene itself. And, and rightly so, I don't think that's wrong. But today, we're gonna kind of do a little bit differently. We're gonna, with our first Sunday in this Advent series called Fear Not, I want us to widen our gaze, right? I want us to, instead of just look at a single passage, I want us to look at how the nativity scene itself and the, 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 the two words, fear not, fit into the whole gospel story. And I believe we need to do this. I believe we should do this because I believe that these two words, fear not, carry a lot more weight and significance in the narrative of what God is doing in the world. And we may not have been paying attention to it. We may not initially realize it. So this morning, we're gonna be looking at the whole story of the gospel. The gospel is a message. It's a story of good news, right? And if you're gonna tell any good story, where do you start? at the beginning, right? You start at the beginning. So let's rewind the clocks back. Let's go back to when time itself became, became in existence, like came into existence. Guys, God, Genesis one, God spoke all of creation into his existence and it was beautiful, right? All of it was in this beautiful harmony together with mankind coming into existence as the peak of it all, right? Mankind, humanity being the peak of his creation. And Adam and Eve come into existence, right? And they get to enjoy the beautiful presence of God in his fullness, right? When there was no sin, when there was no evil, there was no death, there was no fear. Or let me rephrase that, at least not the wrong kind of fear yet. There was still this right fear of God that beheld him as beautiful and held him in awe and honor, that perfectly trusted him, especially when he said things like, hey, let us make man after our image. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And so God created man in his own image. So when he says things like that, you hold that in honor. And everything in this creation was beautiful. Amazingly beautiful beautiful 
until it wasn't. Only three chapters into this book and this beautiful creation falls. Only three chapters into this story and it's already messed up. In comes this deceiver who absolutely hated God and wanted to undo everything that God had beautifully done. He comes to Adam and Eve, the pinnacle of God's creation, and he comes to them and deceives them with something false, with an invitation based on a premise that is false. He says, hey, did, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree? You know, if you do eat of it, you won't really die. But you'll be like God. Guys, this, this invitation from this deceiver probably haunted Adam and Eve. I'm wondering if they had thoughts like, well, wait, 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 God, God had said that we were made already like him, right? In his image. So is that no longer true? If, if what this snake says is true, then, then eating this fruit won't kill us, but it'll make us like God, like we were supposed to be. So shouldn't we eat it? You know what's happening there? What's, what, what's happening there isn't just simply a pride problem, thinking ourselves as higher than God. What's happening there isn't just simply a sin problem. Guys, this is a fear problem. This right here is a fear problem. Their fear of God trusting his word and holding him up in awe and honor. All of that was suddenly interrupted by this deceiver. The deceiver had presented a different truth to them and they were believing Satan. They were believing what he said. And at this point in the gospel narrative, it's at this point where fear come screeching in like nails on a chalkboard. Because this right here, this point in the, in, the, in the scriptures is the epicenter, right? Think of an earthquake. It's the epicenter of fear, of the experience of fear. And it's from this point onward that we see the aftershocks throughout all of the human narrative, right? Out, throughout all the whole story of the Bible. So what happened here at the epicenter was that they began to believe something other than God. Which brothers and sisters, that is what fear ultimately is. Fear is not disbelief. Because it's, it's believing the wrong things. Fear is not disbelief. It is believing the wrong things. So you and I, when we typically think of fear, we, 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 we typically think of fear as simply not believing. I don't have faith. I'm not having enough faith or I have too little faith, belief. Because that's not what fear is, guys. In reality, those who struggle with fear are still believing something else, right? They're still believing something. It's just they're believing the wrong things. So fear is this trade-off, right? It's this ultimate, ultimate trade. You're believing God in the truth for something wrong. Guys, Adam and Eve began to experience fear the moment they started believing the lies that Satan was telling them. So if we can just kind of pause and do some takeaways from this right here and right now. 
for those of us who are struggling with any form of fear, the question that I would just say, let's ask ourselves is this, what am I believing wrongly? What am I wrongly believing? So if I'm in the, in the emotion of fear, I need to look at my belief and say, what am I believing that's wrong, right? Because if, if fear is believing wrong things, then what am I not believing that's true? Or what am I believing that's not true? Because this is asking this question here is one of the first ways that you and I can get to the point where we say, no, I really, I really don't have any fear. Where we can be so transformed where we can say, I'm, I'm fearless. Where that's the actual reality of our souls, not just simply a, a cover-up or a makeup that we push on our, our faces and, 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 and make ourselves look pretty with. No, we can actually be transformed and live fearlessly when we say, what am I believing that's wrong? Now, why is, this question that's, why is this question just so important to ask? Well, again, kind of reemphasizing what I just said earlier, we, what we fear reveals what we trust. What we fear reveals what you and I ultimately are trusting in. So let me try to put this on the ground for us. Men, right, if, if, if you are like let's say you've lost your job and you're in this job search and the bank account is dwindling to down to almost nothing and you've got bills to pay, you've got food to put on the table for your family and you are just overwhelmed with fear. You feel the heat on your back. You feel the stress of it all and you are just overwhelmed with fear. I have to provide for my family. I am afraid that I won't be able to provide for my family. In that fear, what are you believing that's wrong? What are you wrongly believing? that you're the, the provider for your family. That's the wrong belief, right? You are not the one who provides for your family ultimately. That's God's job. God's like, hey man, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, food, shelter, water, clothing will be added unto you. Because that's God's job. That's not ours. Or for you ladies, for example, I mean, I, I struggle with this sometimes too, Right? Let's say you're in this fear where you're just like, that person doesn't like me. My, nobody, none of my coworkers actually like me. They don't really accept me. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm unacceptable. I'm fearful of this. Let's say that's you. What is it that you're wrongly believing? You're wrongly believing that they determine your identity, that their acceptance and love of you and for you ultimately determines your value or determines your, your worth that you are lovable, right? That's not the case at all, guys. God loves you and has accepted you already in Christ. So any kind of particular fear that you might have of yourself, you can simply ask yourself this question, what am I wrongly believing? Guys, this is the most important question when it comes to fear. Now, obviously this question itself, right? Oh, I can do this. Right there, that question. This question, it's weird. I feel like I have to point up there. This question here has to be saturated with prayer, with Holy Spirit guidance, and with the truth of God's word. Because if we don't know this or don't have God's spirit to guide us into understanding this, then you and I won't have the truth to be able to counter the things that we're wrongly believing. 
right? Does that, I, hope that, I hope you're tracking with me there because that's vastly important. We have to be in prayer. We have to be guided by God's spirit into the truth of God's word in order to actually confront those wrong beliefs that are creating the fears that we have. And guys, Adam and Eve, they weren't dependent upon God's word, what he had told them. They started believing what Satan was saying. And they began to fear that God was wrong. And they went ahead and they ate. They ate of the food. And because of this fear, all of creation experienced the ripple effects. The devastating fall of all of creation because of misplaced fear. And after, after this massive misplacing of fear, causing them to wrongly believe and wrongly behave, like God, God comes to Adam and Eve, right? They hear him, right? He's coming. They, they, he's walking towards them and they hear him and they hear his sound and, and the normal feelings of joy exploding in their heart when they get to see God coming their way in all of his fullness. Instead of feeling the joy this time, they felt a new kind of emotion and feeling that had never yet before been experienced, especially in relationship to God. And that emotion was terror, fear. And so what'd they do? They ran and hid. And when God calls to them while they're hiding, obviously he knows where they are. He calls to them and Adam confesses this in Genesis 3 verse 10. He says, I heard the sound of you, God, in the garden. And I was afraid. I was terrified because I was naked and I hid myself. I heard you coming and I began to fear. I heard you coming and I was afraid, so I hid myself. And so for the first time in all of scripture, we see the word fear. We see afraid coming in into the Bible. It's right after sin, right? Right after misplaced fear. Guys, misplaced fear is always a product of sinful disbelief. And immediately after this, God explains to them the consequences of their actions and then he executes what I see as the most devastating consequence of all. Adam and Eve are completely removed from God's presence. And so we see the consequences of their fear, of their disbelief or believing the wrong things. We see the consequences are ultimately sin and death. Guys, fear can be a deadly thing. And I'm not just talking physically. Fear can kill your soul. It can utterly destroy you. I mean, imagine being in their bare feet for a minute, right? And Adam and Eve's bare feet. I, I, I can only imagine as they're walking out of the garden, the kinds of things that they're thinking about, the kinds of fears that are just exploding into their minds and hearts right now as they're, as they're overwhelmed with tears that are falling down from their face as they stumble out of the garden, wondering what just happened. What did we just do? Now they're trying to figure out life without God and how to get back to him. Imagine the thoughts, right? Oh, we've, we've just completely disobeyed what our God had asked of us and we love God. Why did we do this? We've sinned and he said, he said the consequences are going to be death. We've been 
cut off, we've been cast out. Like what have we done? Will we ever be brought back in? Will we ever be able to be back with God in the garden? Will we ever be able to walk with him again? Can we ever be right with God again? Guys, can you imagine how fearful it would be having been in the full presence of God in perfection and then suddenly be casting into a world void of his presence? That is terrifying. And yet God sent Adam and Eve out with this promise that he was going to undo their fears, that all their darkest fears would just become untrue. He sent them out with that word. And yet still in the narrative of scripture, we see sin and death just multiply over and over again. We see brothers indifferently murdering brothers. We see fathers dying. We see mothers losing their children. Sin and death just plagues the world that was once good. And yet God is faithful in all of this, right? Despite our fears, despite our wanderings, as as we fast forward in the timeline of history, a few hundred years to when Moses comes on the scene and he's up on the top of the mountain with God receiving the, what we know as the old covenant law, right? He's receiving the terms of their agreement for how God was gonna come and be with his people. God is providing a pathway back to him what we lost, his presence. And in this covenant, he issues out like over 600 different commandments, terms and laws that God lays out for them to say you have to, Be perfect in keeping these. He's demanding perfection through these laws. And these laws not only lead to, but they require holiness. But this law was good, right? This law was given for us by God, uh, given for the people and how they can relate back to God. And it was a good thing. And still, can you imagine the kind of fears you would have living under that kind of arrangement, living under those kinds of terms and laws? I mean, guys, 600 and something laws that you've got to keep in perfection. And whenever you break one, you've got to go make a sacrifice atoning for your sin. Imagine the kind of fears. What if, what if I slip up and break the law? What if, what if I've broken a law and I didn't even know it? What if I lose my righteousness? What, like, like how, could I, how could I even ever get the righteousness that's required to get back to heaven, get back to God? Is, is God going to provide another way for us? Is he gonna provide another way of salvation? Imagine all the fears. And still God reminded his people through the prophets. We're continuing on in the narrative. Through the prophets that he was going to undo all their fears. But guys, again, that's all they had. It was a word. A word is all they had to bank on. And like even in times when Israel was led off into captivity to foreign nations and they were forced into slavery, they waited, right? They waited on God to fulfill his promises. They were waiting for God to undo all that their sin had done. They were waiting for God to answer all of their fears. And just when the people of God believed the time had come for God to make all their fears come untrue, the heavens quieted. Word from God 
stopped coming altogether. Nothing but static came over the line from heaven. Just silence. And one year of silence turned into two, turned into five, and then 20. Nothing from the heavenlies, only silence from God. And that turned into a century, which turned into three centuries, and then four, for 400 years. No word from God. Silence. No reminder to keep our fears at bay. And guys, if you're, if you're someone who knows fear, you very much know that it's in the silence where your fears can flare up and run rampant. It's in the quietness often where our fears get out of control. Imagine 400 years thinking like, has, has God forgotten about us? Weren't we his chosen ones? Has God abandoned us? Did he forsake us? Will he, will he still fulfill his plans and, and promises for us? Does, does he even care anymore? Does he even care about us anymore? Is God going to save us from sin and death? God, where are you? Imagine 400 years of those kinds of fears. And in the fullness of time, when our fears were high, expectations were low, and no one was watching, God established the beachhead in his war on our fears. The Messiah is coming. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the words fear not come from, in the Advent story, come from every angelic announcement or instruction that was given concerning the coming of the Messiah. I don't know if you've noticed that. Have you noticed that the words fear not are in every angelic announcement? So for example, when the angel first approaches Mary, the mother of Jesus, to tell her that she was going to be conceiving of the Holy Spirit and conceiving and giving birth to the Son of God, this is what the angel says to her in Luke chapter one. And the angel came and said to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, what did he say? Fear not, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Fear not, right? And then when the angel appears to Joseph, who was like totally engaged to Mary, right? To this woman who just found out that she's gonna be pregnant and they weren't married yet. And so Joseph's like contemplating, quietly leaving his assumedly adulterous fiance. The angel comes and says to Joseph in, in Matthew chapter one, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear 
to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Or one of our most popular announcements that we all very much know that we kind of sang about earlier. When the angel shows up in the field to announce Jesus's arrival, to announce the Messiah's arrival, and he announces it, the angel announces it to a bunch of ragtag shepherds just chilling out in the field with their little sheep. This is what that angel says to them in Luke 2, 10 and 11. And the angel said to these shepherds, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Guys, can you see this? Every single announcement or instruction given concerning the birth of the Messiah begins with or includes fear not. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Because I, I, I believe that these two words are much more than it's just a, a temporary attempt to comfort a bunch of frightened shepherds. It's not a temporary attempt to soothe a, a concerned, worried Fiance, it's not a, a, an attempt to try to comfort a future mother trying to figure out where her kid came from, right? This is, this is not simply what those words fear not are getting at, guys. I think there's so much more. I think there's something crucial that you and I have to do to connect these things, these simple words to the heart of God in the gospel. The whole story of God in the Bible. Guys, this is how Christmas ties into the gospel narrative. God's eternal plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. Because this is why Christmas is so amazing. Because this is why Christmas is so special, so significant, so powerful, so heartwarming, and so important. This is, this is the main thrust of what I'm trying to communicate to you at the outset of this series called Fear Not. Guys, the gospel's first words are fear not. The gospel's first words are fear not. So, for example, let's take a look at what the angel said to the shepherds. Usually what we do is we say either fear, the, the words fear not were just trying to comfort uh, shepherds who were terrified of what they were seeing. Or usually what we do is we say if the words fear not aren't included in the good news that he was about to bring. Hey, I've got good news. It's the arrival of, of the Messiah. No, I believe that the first words of good news are simply Fear not, the Messiah has come. I mean, think about it. The gospel first has some bad news in it, right? It outs us as sinners. It puts us all on the same level, the same playing field, puts us all in the same boat saying that we are broken individuals who have experienced the fall of mankind and we need redemption. Here's the good news. You don't have to fear Right? The gospel means good news. And isn't it incredible news that you and I no longer have to be chained to fear? And we don't have to be afraid anymore? As the gospel is God ultimately shouting to his creation, hey, you don't have to fear anymore. Your fears of whether or not I cared, of whether or not I was going to come for you again, or if I was just going to leave you and abandon you and leave you alone, of whether or not I was going to save you from sin and death. No, I'm answering all those fears right now. Fear not. Fear not. Guys, the good news is that you and I no longer have reason to fear because Jesus was born. 
out of God's love for the world. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died a sacrificial atoning death and he rose from the dead, ridding us of all the fears that we have of everything that would truly be fearful, sin and death. Guys, we no longer have reason to fear. We no longer have reason to fear. Our savior, Jesus Christ has been born. So the image of little baby Jesus in a manger is meant to be a scene that removes every single one of your fears. Come take a look at it. This scene was meant to totally destroy the narrative of fear that you and I have experienced since the moment we were born when we asked ourselves the question, am I safe? Am I safe? Guys, this is hope being born. This is grace being born. This is love being born. This is God himself taking on flesh, entering into our experiences of fear and totally abolishing them. Guys, this is, this is God answering all of our greatest fears. We no longer are, are weighed down by sin's heaviness. We no longer have to fear death's power, right? The gospel ultimately is God destroying the fear narrative in the human story. He's totally destroying the fear narrative that you and I have constantly experienced as human beings that's plagued mankind for millennia. Sin's lost its power. Death has lost its sting. Guys, Jesus in a manger is God establishing his beachhead and his war on our fears. And he wins the victory in Jesus' death and resurrection. So sin and death have been totally defeated. Fear not. Marshall Siegel, he's an author, he wrote, this. He said, the greatest horror we can ever face is having our sin-filled lives held up before a holy God. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Through faith in Christ, though, that threat has been cast aside forever. For us as believers, the biggest, scariest, most intimidating, long-lasting terror was turned away and destroyed. This crisis has been averted. The distress has passed. The guilt removed. The execution canceled. The God of the universe satisfied and vindicated. So we no longer need to fear. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Christmas. Fear not. Fear not. Now I realize, again, for some of you, this is easier heard than done. Some of you are struggling with some very real fears, like the fear of a lurking pandemic, the fear of exposure to it, the fear of of, of, of loss, the fear of rejection, the fear of being left behind or abandoned, the fear of death, whatever it could be, right? Friends, 
the, the Bible doesn't just simply say, fear not. It doesn't just simply command you, hey, fear not. And if you do experience fear, then you're not a good enough Christian. That's not what the Bible's talking about. No, what the Bible does, what God does in the gospel is he gives us everything that you and I need in order to never experience fear again because of his great love with which he has loved us. God, guys, God provided us what we needed most to answer every single one of our fears to rid us of every reason we had to be afraid of the scariest things we had great reason to be afraid of. Brothers and sisters, we can truly fear not because Jesus came. We no longer are slaves to fear. We no longer have to be shackled to fears. And Jesus in a manger is God showing you that. Not only that, but he's also showing you that he's not just simply condemning you to death for feeling fear. He actually comes and he joins you in them. Guys, what a joy Christmas brings. So for those of you who feel like slaves to fear and you never thought you'd be able to experience freedom from fears, fear not. You don't have to be chained to those fears anymore. The gospel is totally shouting to you, fear not. God has given you everything that you need to truly experience freedom from fear because we can trust the one who freed us from it. Now, I also want to just say this. If you're tuning in today, um, and you're just totally skeptical of, of the gospel, of even God's existence or the person of Jesus, I'm, I'm betting that you probably have some fears unless you're just totally on the other side and you're apathetic to everything and you have no emotion and uh, you basically uh, live it up today because tomorrow you die. That's, I mean, there's probably people like that out there. But I'm guessing that a majority of you, if you're turning in today and you don't believe in Jesus, you are probably shackled to some fears and you can't find the answers that can, that can remove them, that can rid you of those chains. I'm telling you today to experience the freedom from fear that we were made to experience in the garden. Come to Jesus. Come sit at the foot of the cross, receive the news that it speaks to us, that we once were broken by the fall of Adam and Eve and creation, and we need redemption. We need salvation. And we weren't just simply made to experience fear. We were made to experience freedom in the full presence of God. So would you come and believe Jesus in his perfect life, his atoning death, and his resurrection, bodily resurrection, and his ascension into heaven? And in those beliefs, you experience the full love of God and that love casts out every fear. Now, for those of you who are trusting in Jesus and, and you're finding, man, I'm not perfect. I do have some fears. I would just take you back and just simply say, hey, ask yourself, what are you believing wrongly? What are you wrongly believing that has you feeling fearful? Because most likely, you know what, 100%, God's word addresses 
every fear that you and I might ever experience in this life. So ask yourself, what am I believing wrongly? Because what you're believing in is what you're trusting in. So with that, I just want to pray for us. And then that's going to conclude our morning time together. If you do want prayer over this, um, there's going to be some email instructions provided at the end of this live stream through the announcement reel. Um, please feel free to email us. I'd love to be able to come alongside of you and talk to you from a distance as we're still quarantining. Um, but don't just simply shut off the computer, walk away and, and get onto the football games or whatever you have planned for today, you, you DIY weekend warriors, whatever it might be. S- rest in this. And if there's things that you are fearful of, I'd love to join you in those, walk with you and pray with you. But let me pray for you now. Lord Jesus, again, this is not what we expected for today. Um, We do have the expectation that every week we would gather in person in your name, just just as your word commands us, that we're not to neglect the gathering. And yet, we're having to be cast out today. We're having to be separated today and yet your spirit can still be with us. And God, I realize that there are all sorts of fears that are coming up among our leaders, among our church, even in our country and in this world. God, if 2020 could be defined by a single word, it's not COVID, it's fear. And so I just pray, Lord, that your gospel would be the light that infiltrates the darkness of our fears and speaks truth to us, speaks the better word that would encourage our souls, that would build us up and send us out to also share that light with others. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, the life, and the light. Thank you for giving us everything that you and I need that that we as your church need in order to experience fearless living. Would you be with my brothers and sisters and those who are tuning in today and would you walk with them through these questions that they may be asking? Spirit, would you guide them into right belief rooted in your love for us? We love you. God, we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.